You're listening to The Residential Movement, where the focus is on making in-home dental care normal instead of novel or niche. I'm your host, Dr. Ashley Robinson, a house call dentist with a lot of passion for reaching patients who are best served in their home or residence. I'm here to encourage, equip, and empower dentists like you to begin offering in-home dental services for patients who cannot get to the office, while also enjoying a more balanced work life. We discuss everything from dentistry, business, ethics, mindset, and more. Listen in to learn how you can become a part of the residential movement. The way we choose to speak is very telling. And yes, speech is a choice. Our accents can offer hints into where we're from. Varying tones can communicate our feelings. The way we speak can advise people of our education level. Most importantly, our speech demonstrates our values. In this episode today, I want to offer you some information about language that's most appropriate for house call dentistry. Before we continue, I have to preface this episode by reminding you that I am a dentist, not a communications expert. Sometimes I react instead of respond. Sometimes I can be careless and send an email with a bunch of typos if I'm in a rush. But there are two areas of communication in which I excel because I feel very strongly about them. These two areas that I want to encourage you to strengthen are, number one, the use of people-first language, and two, the avoidance of elder speak. I promise I'll thoroughly explain both of these during this episode. Discussing communication is important because there has been a lot of language development in this field. I believe it's best if all of us house call dentists are on the same page with communication so that we can demonstrate respect to our patients when we speak with them and when we're speaking about our work in general. Our speech demonstrates our values, remember? Let's start talking about people-first language. We should all be using people-first language. People-first language is simply referring to a person's disability as a noun. Let's begin by thinking of the term disability, because a lot of our patients have a disability of some sort, whether it's developmental or it's been acquired. Disability is a clear, legal, objective term. The word disability, or the name of someone's particular disability, is an acceptable noun to use when it's relevant. Problems arise when people begin to use disabilities as adjectives. The use of disabilities as adjectives is disrespectful. Examples can help make this more clear. So, for example, when checking in with your assistant in the morning, you might say something like, Today I'm going to visit my patient so-and-so who has autism. That is perfect, much better than saying, I'm going to see my autistic patient so-and-so. In the second example, you're using the disability to describe your patient rather than referring to their disability as a trait. People-first language can be utilized for any disease or condition. Here's another example. You might tell your friends that you have a patient who has dementia, which is totally fine. What isn't fine is when some doctors say, so-and-so is one of my dementia patients. Using people-first language also implies that we don't refer to anyone as disabled. Again, someone's disability is a noun, not an adjective. This goes beyond an individual and can even be applied in everyday conversations. For example, when you and a friend walk by a newly constructed office building in your neighborhood, you might notice a ramp outside and say, that ramp would be really helpful for anyone with a physical disability, instead of saying, that ramp would be really great for physically disabled people. Even better, use of the term accessible as an adjective to describe the ramp would be very respectful and empowering to people with disabilities. So you might say, that office looks very accessible, implying a universal ability of all people to be able to access the office. Accessibility is the ultimate goal. Even though people-first language seems subtle, it really matters. Your patients are people who have a lot of different traits. They could be a person with blue eyes, brown hair, a fear of spiders, and have Down syndrome. 
They aren't your Down syndrome patient. Ability level is just another trait, not that person's defining trait. This is why the use of people-first language is the best way for healthcare professionals and really for everybody to communicate. I want to point out that while describing people-first language, I've been using the term disability. I have not used the terms handicapped or retarded. That was hard for me to say, but I want to be clear. Both of these words used to be clinically acceptable terms, just like imbecile and idiot. But now all of these terms are considered dated and offensive non-clinical terms when describing people with disabilities. Do not use them. Another common non-clinical term that was popularized by the Special Olympics is the term special needs. Some families prefer to use that term to describe their loved one with a disability, and others find it offensive because it's unclear. The term special could also imply that only people with disabilities have special needs, which is untrue. Special needs is far less clear, so I recently decided that I'm going to use it less. Still, in my region, it's widely used and accepted for the time being. I wouldn't be surprised if it falls out of popular use very soon. Language evolves and changes over time. You already know this. You've heard the way they talk in old movies. So I can't guarantee that the language I'm advocating for in this 2023 podcast will be relevant in 2063 because I acknowledge that things change. Change in language over time is why you may hear a well-meaning person use dated terms when referring to their loved ones. The everyday person could easily make a mistake and use terms that were popular years ago. You are a professional, though, so you're held to a higher standard. You're an example to your patients and to professionals in this field. You should care to stay up to date and utilize respectful language. When people use this dated language and it's an innocent mistake, show grace. Assume the best. They probably just don't know the updated language. You have the opportunity to lead by example in this situation. They'll hear how you speak to and about people with disabilities. You can gently encourage them to adopt a new vocabulary. On the other hand, if someone is intentionally using these terms to be offensive, you should absolutely say that you don't appreciate that language and inform them that you have a lot of respect for the largest minority population in the world, people with disabilities. They may or may not follow your example, but at least they'll know how you feel and won't mistake your silence for condoning the use of these words. Okay, so we've covered people-first language and words to avoid in that realm. Next, let's address elder speak. Elder speak is to be avoided at all costs. Elder speak is a condescending way of speaking to older adults that implies they have a disability or are incompetent. Some examples of elder speak are when a young person just sees an older person and assumes they should start speaking very loudly or very slowly. What's tricky is that sometimes it really is necessary to speak loudly or slowly to an older person if they are in fact losing their hearing or cognition. And in those cases, of course you should modify your speech to meet the needs of your patient. But you shouldn't just look at an older adult and assume that they're deaf or impaired. Older adults feel offended when younger people assume that just because they're old, they need to be treated differently. Elder speak also includes using inappropriate greetings or phrases with older adults. I watched a young cashier call an older woman, young lady, at the grocery store the other day. That older woman was not happy. Don't call older patients sweetheart or honey, especially if you don't have a close relationship. The same can go for any person, really. Another example of elder speak is when people speak to older adults like children. I witnessed a couple of painful examples during house calls. After one of my recent recall visits just the other morning, my patient's nurse came in and told him that we needed to get dressed and ready for the day now that the dental appointment was over. The patient responded by saying, it looks to me like you're already dressed. This made me laugh because he was right. That nurse didn't need to get dressed or say that we needed to get dressed. He needed to get dressed. He needed her help, not her condescension. Even worse, I once heard an aide at a retirement community tell a grown woman that she was going to take her to the potty. 
Now, yes, this older female resident did need help going to the bathroom, but she was fully lucid and knew the word for toilet. There was no need to call it a potty like she was a three-year-old. Elder speak drives me nuts because I can tell it drives my patients nuts. I'm blessed to have three living, thriving, older adult grandparents who still crack quick-witted jokes and are very much adults, just older. Sure, today my grandparents can still bathe themselves and take care of their own homes, but even if they fell tomorrow and couldn't be independent all of a sudden, I can't imagine I'd start speaking to them like a child. They are my grandparents. I've been looking up to them my whole life. Just because someone's health declines and they need our services doesn't mean they weren't recently independent adults with careers, who raised families, and were capable of amazing things. Unfortunately, some people may take one look at someone laying in a bed or slumped over in a wheelchair and assume that they're better than those people. But guess what? They're not better. None of us are better. We're just still healthy and capable of helping, and we probably won't always be healthy because none of us are going to make it out of this world alive. I've had patients from their better wheelchair share stories about things like their doctoral dissertations, their experience trading service dogs, the secrets to their 65-year marriage, and memories of their trips around the world. We are so privileged to get to work with these people. We need to remember to treat them like the adults that they are and avoid elder speak. Just as we discussed words to avoid in the people-first language segment, I also want to mention words to avoid when we're discussing elder speak. Firstly, the term geriatric is fading fast. It's still an acceptable medical term, but even some professional organizations have started to get rid of it. Individuals do not want to be referred to as, quote, geriatric. This is because there is so much diversity amongst older adults. More and more people are living healthy lives to be over 100 years old. Then we have people in their 50s and 60s with a million ailments and medications. Aging is very personal. The way a person ages is largely based on lifestyle and has much less to do with their actual age. All of the diversity in health in the over-65 crowd means that many people who were traditionally considered to be part of the, quote, geriatric population do not want to be referred to as such. There is also a strong sentiment against terms like elderly and senior citizen for the same reason. You've probably noticed that the term I've been using throughout this podcast is the term older adult. This is the term that I'm going to advise you to adopt, too. Again, our patients don't always keep up with the linguistic trends. Many of my patients refer to themselves as elderly or as a senior citizen. All you can do in this situation is refer to them respectfully. You do not need to correct the older adult who is referring to themselves as a senior citizen. Some people are very, very proud of that title, so let them have it. Still, you can refer to them as one of your patients who is an older adult. Now, I agree that this term older adult is less specific and can seem unclear. But aging isn't very clear anyway. Essentially, every adult ages uniquely. Plus, language changes. Maybe in the future there will be a better term, but today let's stick to older adults. Now that we've covered people-first language and elder speak, I want to point out some other words to remove from your vocabulary and alternatives for them. So first, close your eyes, unless you're driving, and picture a residence that older adults move into toward the end of their life. It's a place with a lot of neighbors about their same age. This place may have nurses or care aides available. What is the name of a place like this? The first name that probably popped into your head is nursing home. If I say nursing home, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you may refer to these places as residential or care facilities. There are different residences based on patient needs too, like skilled nursing, assisted living, long-term care. They're all different and it can be a lot to remember. But luckily for you, when you're going to visit an individual who lives in a place like this, you don't need to know the specifics about the facility or nursing home or what to call it because I want you to avoid all of these terms altogether. When you go visit a patient who lives in a residence like the one described above, 
the only thing that you're going to call that place is a community. Yep, ditch nursing home, ditch facility, and replace those words with community. I actually learned about this vocab switch from a local real estate investor. He isn't in the healthcare industry at all, but his mother lives in a community for older adults. He and his family truly appreciate when professionals and people refer to his mother's living situation as her community. To him, and probably to many other patients and families, it's comforting to know that their loved one is living in a community surrounded by other caring people. Living in community is important for all of us, and our language can be a reminder of that. Finally, one last word to avoid is clinic. Now, in a hospital or large institution, it's okay to refer to an individual department as a clinic, like the dental clinic inside of a hospital. But we should not be referring to the institution itself as a clinic. During my time as a public health employee, I learned that the term clinic has historically been associated with government healthcare facilities and developed a negative connotation in the public, particularly with people with low socioeconomic status. Of course, there are exceptions, like the Cleveland Clinic or Mayo Clinic. These are large institutions with a great reputation, and rebranding probably isn't worthwhile for them. But most healthcare facilities that are government-run are now referred to as health centers, not clinics. The term health center gives people much more confidence in the care that they're receiving. Okay, so we discussed employing people-first language, avoiding elder speak, and removing certain words from our vocabulary that are offensive to people with disabilities, older adults, or the general public. Whether you are a house call dentist or not, I hope this knowledge empowers you to have even better conversations with your patients, their loved ones, and your own friends and family. I'm really excited to hear your feedback about today's episode. Email me at hello at residentalmovement.com to let me know your thoughts. If you want to support the patients who need but struggle to afford in-home dental care, please consider contributing to the Home Smile Care Foundation. The Home Smile Care Foundation was founded by myself and my loved ones to help patients access in-home dental care. Visit homesmilecarefoundation.org for more information. Thank you for taking the time to listen in today. I really appreciate you. That's a wrap on this episode of The Residential Movement. If you like what you heard today, please leave a five-star review and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. If you know someone who could benefit from this information, please share this with them. All of these actions help fuel the residential movement. Visit residentialmovement.com for show notes and for access to any links referenced in this episode. Thanks again for listening, Doc. Keep up the good work.